All right, everybody, welcome back to True Crime for Dummies. I am your host, Jazz. And I am your other host, Jada. Today, we're going to be discussing some cases that involve people of color. Uh, It's kind of come to my attention that with the episodes that we do have, we have focused on people of color, but not as much as I would like to. So not even in honor of Black History Month, because that's honestly so cheesy. Black history should be every month, every day. It shouldn't be something that's like set aside for a particular 28 days, but whatever. We're just doing it because we want to. And that is the premise of our show is to highlight um, Black stories, Black victims, and just bring that and give that coverage. So without further ado, um, I believe, Jada, did you go first last time? I don't know, but I'm going first now. So. No, I'm going first. Literally, my no, turn. I'm going. No, I'm going first. Because look at this, guys. Did you put together our happy story? I did not put together a happy story. I. So how are you going to go first? Uh, Because I was just going to get right into it. No happy stories, no nothing. Nothing is happy. No happy um, stories? Mm-mm. There is no palate cleanser. I mean, you could go first because I also don't have a happy story. Unless you want oh, to wow. one. Oh, can... wow. Do we have anything that we want to say? Any special notes? Any... Thing like that i just can't believe you left out the happy story but you want to go first you also left out the happy story okay and i want i've to... done out of the episodes we have filmed i've done every happy story and i've edited every podcast yeah <laughs> we're, we're not talking about the final product guys <laughs> we're talking about i am our production podcasting team. we're talking about the podcasting itself what the flip ever. I guess this will be the part of the podcast where we remind you guys to please subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at True Crime for Dummies Pod. Um, subscribe to this, leave comments, like it, review it, share it to all your friends. Um, because my sister and I are not made to do a 40 hour work week. So please help us make this a full time job. Thank you. And without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and share the disappearance of Asia Degree. So have you heard about this case, Jada? No. To me, this is the equivalent of John Bonet Ramsey. This was, this is a really big story. I know that this story has been shared on multiple platforms by multiple creators. It's literally all over YouTube, but I just wanted to highlight this story because she is still missing. And also because I know that there may be some people who are tuning into the podcast that don't know a thing about true crime, hence true crime for dummies. So I don't want to exclude this case just because it's heavily talked about. But yeah, I think it's the, the equivalent of John Bonet because she was so young and it's still pretty much a mystery to this day. Of course, because she's African-American, there are some issues with media coverage and that sort of thing. And her parents definitely do feel like missing white children have gotten more coverage and more police hours than Aisha has. I digress. On February 14th, 2000, Aisha Jaquilla Degree packed her backpack and left her family's apartment on Oakcrest Street. At 6.30 a.m., Aquila Degree came into her children's shared room to wake them up for school. After discovering Aisha was nowhere to be found, the family immediately called law enforcement. Her brother recalls hearing noises in the wee hours of the morning, but he assumed Aisha was tossing in her sleep. Two truck drivers reported seeing a young African-American girl walking south on Highway 18 north of Shelby between 3.30 and 4.15 a.m. This intersection was only a mile away from her home. For reasons unknown, she left the highway and walked off into the darkness. The nine-year-old was never seen again. Where is this? Where is this? 
This is in Shelby, North Carolina. So at the time of her disappearance, Aisha was a fourth grade student at Falston Elementary. She is described as being quiet, shy, and a good student. She had a knack for science and math. She loved to read and write, and she had ambitions to become an illustrator. Her class had just finished reading The Whipping Boy, which is a story about two children who run away from home but eventually return, which I thought was kind of odd. It's a weird coincidence. I don't think that has anything to do with why Aisha left her house, but she was a star point guard on the Falston Bulldogs. Yeah. They have sports at young? Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. She grew up up in a happy but somewhat strict household. Harold and Aquila Degree married on February 14th, 1988. They welcomed a son in 1989, and Aisha was born not long after. They raised both children in Shelby, North Carolina, and Harold's mother and sister lived right down the street from them. Still, the children were very responsible. They would let themselves in after school and have their homework done by the time their mother arrived from her job at Kauai American Manufacturing, which I feel like this is pretty standard. Um, There's like this whole term of like latchkey kids, which were basically kids who your parents are at their nine to five or their eight to five, or they may be even doing like the second shift and you've got to let yourself in from school. So you pretty much just have unsupervised time until your parents get home. Like you and me, Jazz. Yeah, for a short period of time, yeah. Their father worked the second shift as a dock loader for PPG Industries. The family was very religious and attended Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church every week. Aisha loved church and was always enthusiastic to go to weekly Bible study. They didn't have a computer in their home, but Aisha didn't seem to mind staying inside the limits that her parents set for her. On Sunday, February 13th, the children went to bed around 8 p.m. About an hour later, there was a car accident that resulted in a power outage. The power did not come back on until 12.30, and at that point, Harold had arrived home from work. He checked in on his two children, who were fast asleep, and some sources have stated that Aisha was still up and in the living room at the time, and others have said that both the kids were sleeping. So he checked on them again, regardless, before going to bed at 2.30. Sometime during the night, Aisha got her book bag, which was believed to be previously packed with clothes and personal items such as her house keys. No doors or windows were unlocked when the police assessed the scene. When the truckers saw her along the road, she was wearing a long-sleeved white shirt and white pants. A motorist claims to have circled the area three times in an effort to figure out what the young girl was doing unattended. She ran into the woods and disappeared on like that third go-round, which honestly I don't blame her. Due to the power outage, the children were unable to take a bath the previous night. Aquila ran a bath for them before realizing that Aisha was not there. They checked the family cars and even Harold's mother's house before calling the police. Officers arrived before 7 a.m. Friends, families, and neighbors quickly dropped everything to participate in the search. By the day's end, there was still no Aisha. They found a mitten, but Aquila reported that no winter clothing had been taken. A day later, candy wrappers were found in a shed at a nearby business along the highway where Aisha was last seen. Since there was a huge thunderstorm that night, investigators believe she took shelter there. Along the discarded wrappers was also a pencil, a marker, and a Mickey Mouse-shaped hair bow that was identified as belonging to her. In order to spread more awareness to the public, they began selling t-shirts with Aisha's picture on the front, but this quickly came to a halt once they discovered someone was trying to pocket the money that they made from these t-shirts. With the money they did raise, they offered a $5,000 reward for any information leading to Aisha's whereabouts. After 900 man hours had been invested into the search, 300 leads had been submitted and flyers were posted all around the town. The search was called off. 
The degree family underwent polygraph testing and passed with flying colors. This is like standard procedure when somebody's missing or dead. Like you always go to the family first. But at the same time, a polygraph really means nothing. The lead investigator on the case traveled to Quantico to have a profile created of a possible suspect, but still they were unable to locate any prominent persons of interest. The FBI and North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation put Asia Degree on their respective databases for missing children. From her mother's account of what was missing, investigators believed that her departure was premeditated and she left on her own volition. Ben or many of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children reported that most children who run away are 12 or older. Agents were also baffled for an explanation. She didn't have a bottle to home life and she wasn't doing bad at school. Her basketball team did receive their first loss of the season a few days prior and Aisha was really upset about that but her parents believed that she was pretty much okay. Like she was upset at first and then she kind of got over it. On August 3rd, 2001, Aisha's book bag and other items were discovered during a construction project off of Highway 18 in Burke County about 26 miles north of Shelby. It was wrapped in a black plastic trash bag. The worker who found it said the book bag contains Aisha's name and phone number. They also discovered a pair of men's khakis on the site. The FBI took it to their headquarters for further forensic analysis, and the results from that testing have not been shared publicly. Today, it is the last evidence found in the case. In 2008, they established a scholarship in her name for a deserving local student. They hosted an annual walk to raise awareness and money to fund their search. The walk starts at their home and ends at a missing persons billboard for Asia along Highway 18 near where she was last seen. Aquila Degree said in a 2013 interview with Jet that her daughter's disappearance had not gotten as much media attention over the years as some subsequent cases of missing children because Asia was black. She said, and I quote, missing white children get more attention. I don't understand why. I know if you ask them, they will say it's not racial. Oh, really? I'm not going to argue because I have common sense, which honestly, I mean, you go girl. 13 years later, in January 2014, lead detectives in Aisha's case hoped to catch a break when U.S. Marshals arrested 52-year-old Donald Preston Ferguson at his residence in Spartanburg, South Carolina, for the 1990 murder of a 7-year-old Shalonda Poole, who was found strangled, stabbed, and sexually assaulted behind a Greensboro, North Carolina elementary school. The Cleveland County Police focused in on him after looking at his past history and noticing Shalonda's case bore similarities to Aisha's disappearance. Shalonda shared a room with her twin sister and mysteriously vanished in the early morning hours of July 21st, 1990, between 6 and 8 a.m. When she was reported missing, many people helped search for her, including Donald Ferguson, which is more common than you think. Some people get off on that and they like feeling like they're the only person that knows what's really going on. He had known Shalonda's family for about a month and had even been to her home days beforehand playing cards with her family. Her body was uncovered one day later, bound and gagged. She suffered 19 stab wounds to the neck and was manually strangled. After a thorough investigation, Donald Ferguson is not believed to have any involvement in the disappearance of Asia Degree. On the 20th anniversary of Asia's disappearance, the FBI confirmed the book bag contained a copy of a Dr. Seuss book from Asia's school and a New Kids on the Block t-shirt. It is not known if these items belong to her. A tip received from an inmate at the county jail led investigators to dig at the intersection of Lawndale. The remains found were proven to be from an animal. In February 2015, the FBI announced that FBI agents, Cleveland County Sheriff's Office investigators, and State Bureau of Investigation agents were re-examining the case and re-interviewing witnesses. They also announced a reward of up to $25,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for her disappearance. The FBI announced 15 months later in May 2016 that their reinvestigation of the case had turned up a new possible lead. 
they disclosed that Asia may have been seen getting into a dark green early 1970s Lincoln Continental Mark V. And I really hope that that is the Roman numeral for five. Um, it could be four. Who knows? Or mm. it was possibly a Ford Thunderbird from the same era along Route 18 near where she was last seen later that night. Since September 2017, local agents and investigators have conducted approximately 300 interviews. In November 2020, an inmate named Marcus Mellon, which does not sound like a real name, who was convicted of sex crimes against children in 2014, wrote a letter to the Shelby Star claiming that Degree was murdered and he knows where to find her. These claims are under investigation and have not been yet verified, but you really can't trust a jailhouse confession. That's just one of those things that people seem to get off on the kind of notoriety or feeling like they know something that investigators don't. There have been a lot of serial killers that won't identify their victims even after they've been caught. Like they leave people as Jane Doe's or they just completely will tell the police, hey, I've killed 10 people. I know you guys only know about three of those, but I've killed 10 people. And they'll never tell like the FBI. Little. Right. But yeah, some people kind of that's their jam. But a lot of people not their be jam. Lying. Not their yeah. jam. <laughs> but a lot of people are liars. A lot of prison inmates, for whatever reason, just want to like, I don't know why you want to stack some more cards against you, but people do it all the time. It's not new. I don't know. But what I do know is that is absolutely all I have about the disappearance of Asia Degree. That is it. They have mm-hmm. released um like age generated or age progression photos of her and what she would look like now. But again, she went missing on her parents' wedding anniversary in 2000. Like I was barely alive in 2000. So it just sucks. I was not alive in 2000. So information for my story was found on r slash unsolved mysteries, which I really love that subreddit. Um, also Wikipedia, FBI.gov, and the charlieproject.org. Those are some great resources. If you are just looking for some true crime to scroll through at 3 a.m., I definitely would recommend starting with unsolved mysteries. And I think that eventually, or I do want to detail some more unsolved cases. But I really do like the closure of knowing what happened to someone's loved one. So it's it's a catch-22. Well, you're going to love this because this is unsolved as well. Oh, wow. Yep, it's it's cliffhanger night, baby. <laughs> have you been Eat. taking your melatonin? I know that's off, like, just off my rocker, but, like, have you been taking them? Um, You've been sleeping? I, I have been taking it, yeah. You've been sleeping, though? You've been sleeping? More or less, yeah. Okay, good, good. Thank you so much. I will come, I'll come to your house and I'll rock you to sleep. Oh, wow. That sounds mm-hmm. illegal. Um, no, because it's, like, your birthday. It is not my birthday. It's very close to it. I'm I'm literally done with you. We'll be right back after this short break. Why do you have to say it like that? Like a phone sex operator. We'll be right back <laughs> after this short break. Jeez. Why do you have to say it all sexy? This is the only, this is the only people I've ever heard say that. So. We'll be right back after this break, baby. Yeah. Talk to you later. Meow. <laughs> Okay. Okay, guys. So I want to set the scene for everybody there. I'm going to set a nice little scene for us. Okay. The scene's being set. Sexy. So it's May. <laughs> don't don't say that. <laughs> so it's May 1st of 1971. We're in Washington, D.C. The May flowers are out. It's like 2.46 p.m. And believe it or not, a body has been found behind St. Elizabeth Hospital right next to I-295. 
The bodies of Carol Dennis Spinks, a 13-year-old girl, and she's one of the six missing girls that will be found in between 1971 and 1972. All of these cases are still unsolved. WTF. So the case is known as the... The case is known as the Freeway Phantom. Why is that funny to you? All cases during the early 70s... Because... (laughs) Because I... I you sounded kind of surprised. Just mm. I don't. Where did your surprise your surprising come from? My surprising, surprising. Yeah, your surprising. Please, surprising. I don't, if, I don't think there's, there's a word for it. So if, I made one. If there is ever an episode where I'm writing solo dolo, it's because Jada's grade in English <laughs> in grammar has absolutely tanked because she just said surprising. My grade in literature is absolutely amazing. Last time I checked, it was like a 90-something. So my teacher loves my, she loves my words. I think come that out of my she, mouth. I don't know what to tell I like you. to think she finds me funny. Funny looking, yes, ma'am. The Freeway Phantom terrorized young Black girls and their families during the early 70s in Washington, D.C., which is still a territory, by the way. It was April 25th, 1971. Carol Dennis had been asked by her older sister to go grocery shopping at a 7-Eleven. And it was just about a mile away from her home. So they thought it was going to be very safe. But she was abducted on, on her way on. home. Uh, flag on the place, sister. We going grocery shopping at the 7-Eleven? She went alone. She was 13 years old and she went alone. It was less than a mile away from her home. Grocery okay. shopping is my issue. Groceries uh, at 7-Eleven? What kind of groceries? It was 1971. A roller dog? <laughs> a roller dog. That's that's what you're going to pick up. They, Those are your they groceries. Have, if you don't get your butt to the farmer's market. Yes, they have chips and stuff. Get you some fruit. They have chips and stuff. A little, no, man. A little chef boy RD. I'm sure they have that. Continue. So she was abducted on her way home. Her body, which was, of course, as I said earlier, right next to I-295, was strangled and showed signs of sexual assault. Her shoes were missing, but she was completely dressed, other than her shoes. So on July of the same year, Darlene Denise Johnson, a 16-year-old, had also went missing on her walk home from her summer job at the Oxon Hill Recreation Center. A witness reported seeing her in an old black car being driven by an African-American male. Around 11 days later, she was discovered only 15 feet away from where Carol had been discovered, which is 5.5 miles for all the people who use miles. How many miles is in a yard? Girl, I don't know. Nobody uses... (laughs) Yes. If you use miles, you don't use yards. That's not true. Yeah, no. Like, people in Europe don't use yards. They use miles. They use kilometers. They use kilometers, Shada. No, that's... No, ma'am. I feel like I've seen them use miles. The UK uses miles. So, so there, Jess. There you have it. They don't count. I said miles. Back to the back to the actual crime, Jess. Gosh, <laughs> the police had been notified of the location of the body around a week before by an anonymous caller who had a lot a lot of details. Honestly, a lot of details. Mm-hmm. The police say they didn't ever publish the details, but it was a lot of them, and they suspected that person to be the killer. They sent two little patrol cars to like survey the area, but neither of them could find a body. Darlena's body. Do you body think you was- would have been able to find the body? I mean, yes, I don't know. Two little little police patrol people. You know, you want to get like upgraded to detective. Like they were looking hard. I know they were looking hard. Mm. 
and I don't think I can beat the strength of two little white men looking very hard. Her body was already too decomposed to actually see what the cause of death was or if there was any sexual assault. There was a bit of evidence of strangulation, but it was never concrete. So on July 27th of the same year, Brenda Faye Crockett, who was 10 years old, did not come home from the store. We're going to do that over again. On July 27th. You have to get me? Yeah. You me? Yes. Yes. Yes, this is a I murder am. case. This is a murder case. Yes. Need you to okay. calm down. So on July 27th. If Garcia gets to have fun on Criminal Minds and be jokey jokey, I get to be jokey jokey too. No, no, you don't. Yes, no, you don't. Okay, so back to the case again. Okay. Ooh, on July on July 27th, 1971, Brenda Faye Crockett, who was 10 years old, did not come home after going to the store for her mother. Um, she probably also went to a 7-Eleven, in case you're wondering, Jazz. Her family went to look for her, and around 9.20 p.m., the home phone rang and was answered by her seven-year-old sister. On the phone was Brenda, who was crying. She said a white man had picked her up and she was heading home on a cab. She also told her sister that she thought she was in Virginia. She quickly hung up the phone after saying bye. A few moments later, another call rung through the house phone and it was answered by the boyfriend of Brenda's mother. She repeated what she had said earlier and she indicated she was home alone with a white man. She also asked if her mother had seen her and just before heavy footsteps were heard on the phone, she said, I'll see you and ended the call. At 5.50 a.m., a hitchhiker found her dressed but shoeless near U.S. Route 50, and she had been raped, strangled, with a scarf tied around her neck. Authorities had concluded that the phone calls were really just Brenda's killer feeding her false information so that he could have more time to commit the murder and the um, raping. On October 15th, 1971. One second. Yes. One second. There we go. Sorry, I almost skipped over somebody. On October 7th of 1971, Nima Shimo Yates, who was 12 years old, came home walking from a Safeway store and was kidnapped, raped, and strangled. Not she was Safeway. Found- Jess, why wouldn't you shop at a Safeway in a 7-Eleven? What was so wrong with that to you? I'm going to a QT by any means necessary. A quick trip. Do they have quick trips up there? Was that, is that- I don't know. I'm not going nowhere that they don't have a quick trip, and that's on period. Oh, <laughs> Okay. Okay. Those signs at a quick trip where it has a little yellow sign with a little person hugging it says safe place. (laughs) That's the best place to go. What are those signs for, Jazz? If anything is happening to you, if somebody's trying to get you, like these people, if somebody's abusing you, if you need help because you're a victim of like sexual assault or violence, blah, 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 you can go there and you go inside the QT or wherever it is. It's not just QTs. And you tell them, yo, 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 I need help. And they call the people for you. But it's not like the police. They don't call the police for you. They call like some special people. They didn't okay. tell y'all what a safe place was when y'all was in school. Jesus, what did they teach the kids? <laughs> you don't even know you're supposed to go to the quick trip. Child. No, I, I never knew that, Jess. That's why Quick Trip is open 24-7. I thought, is Walmart also a safe space? No. For, why would you even say that? <laughs> Walmart looks safe to you. Have you it's ever also- been in a Walmart parking lot? <laughs> you might step on anything. No, that's not a safe place. Yes, I, they're both open 24-7. No, ma'am. Not First of all, not every Walmart is open 24-7. Every Quick Trip is open 24-7. Yes, only the neighborhood Walmarts are not open 24-7. Other Walmarts, girl. Regular Walmarts. Yes, yes. What? Yes. What? 
Mm-hmm. What? Not oh every Walmart is 24-7, even before the pandemic. Yes, ma'am. Wow, that's disgusting. It's actually really weird. So she was found three hours later, just off Pennsylvania Avenue. She was dressed shoeless and had an unidentified about green fibers all over her clothes. A witness said they saw her get into a blue Volkswagen, but that lead was just went nowhere. Why do you think they always see people going to cars and then that just... What, girl? Why do you think every time there's a missing person, they always are seen going into a car and just that car just... It wasn't them. There was never a car like that in that area. Well, because people do report false leads. It's another one of those things of of like inmates reporting crimes that they didn't commit. People be crazy, girl. We should put that on our merch. I wouldn't even be able to identify a Volkswagen if I saw one, actually. Now I think about it. I would be a terrible witness. I think about that all the time. You know how like the witness would be like, yeah, he had this kind of nose. Girl, what? I'm too short to know. I have no clue. I have no clue. What's tall to other people may not be tall to me. My friend, I thought she was like 5'7". Girl, she's like Mm, 5'10". That's a big discrepancy. (laughs) Like, (laughs) if she committed a crime and people need to know how tall she was, they would be out of luck with me as the star witness. I know when people are tall. I just can't tell the tallness level. I also can't guess. I can't guess how old adults are. Like I can't guess people's weight. Sometimes I can tell how somebody looks, but I've seen like uh, Millie Bobby Brown. If you told me Millie Bobby Brown was the same age as Sandra Bullock, I would believe you. <laughs> yes, I, I don't think she's an adult. She's not. She's an old looking little girl. That's <laughs> what she is. <laughs> because she looks 16 and 35 at the same time. On November 15th, 1971, around 1130, Brenda Dennis boarded a... What does she do, girlfriend? That's her last name. It's Woodard. And I spelled it Woodard. Mm-hmm. But it has an ard at the end. Yeah, Woodard. I'm hearing an erd, not an ard. Woodard. That's lame if it's Woodard. Jada, she's dead. Oh I'm just saying for all the living Woodards. I'm just saying. We don't the make living fun of ones. the victims on this podcast. We only make fun we're of not the making fun. We're not making fun of a victim. Yes, you were just laughing at people for shopping at Safeway and 7-Eleven. Yes, I don't hear And I apologize. Now that I'm thinking about it, that was very classist of me. That was very not nice, okay? Some people live below the poverty line. Some people just enjoy convenience, okay? So I apologize mm-hmm. to all my 7-Eleven and my Speedway shoppers, but not really okay love yourself a little bit more not speedway safeway what not speedway safeway Uh -uh. (laughs) i refuse to believe uh -uh. that i refuse to believe it's called safeway first of all ain't nothing safe about that place this way this what it says on the thing the safeway store yeah i see safeway is there even a speedway does that exist yeah let's google yeah there's a speedway and a safeway on October 15th, 1971, at 11.30 p.m., Brenda Dennis Woodard boarded a city bus after dinner with her classmates. Around six hours later, police discovered her body near George Country Hospital along Access Route 202. She had been stabbed multiple times and strangled. She was wearing a dress, her shoes this time, and a coat over her. And one of its pockets contained a note from the killer. It said, in this tan amount to my insensitivity, sick to people, especially women, I will admit the others when you catch me, if you can. Freeway phantom. Ooh, not illiteracy. <laughs> 
podcast is also insensitive, Jess. Not his literature and his grammar is not up to date. No, Jess, because authorities were able to see that the note was actually written from Brenda's notebook and it was written by her. The lack of indications of distress showed the investigators that she may have known her kidnapper. Wait, okay, no, 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 no. So read writing very lightly. Read what she wrote again because they're trying to say that she knew the person because she wasn't stressed out so what you just said to me sounds stressful that don't sound like a situation <laughs> you're gonna get out of so please read that over run that back this is tantamount to my insensitivities parentheses sick not sick as an s-i-c-k but just s-i-c mm-hmm. two people especially women i will admit the others when you catch me if you can free way phantom okay and not to be rude but i i'm not buying that theory because nothing about that sounds like oh yeah this is my homeboy brian like you know he's asking me to write this cryptic message down that talks about admitting women freeway phantom none of that sounds scary actually so i'm gonna write this really lightly and that's an indication that i feel safe here absolutely not it's like if one of your friends asked you hey can you write this down for me you wouldn't do that I would write it down, but once I started realizing what was going on, no, no, no. Yes, what if she wasn't kidnapped yet? What if she, one of her friends, she went to dinner with them, they just asked her, hey, write this down for me. And then after the writing, it was any circumstance. Once we get to admit and women and freeway phantom, at that point, (laughs) I've stopped writing and I'm looking up and I'm preparing. I'm looking for an escape route. I'm looking for somewhere to flee to. I'm looking for a QT because I know that's a safe place. The last victim of the freeway phantom was found on September 15th. Found? <laughs> the, last, <laughs> the last victim of the freeway phantom was found on September 5th of 1972. Dane Denise Williams, 17, left her home after cooking for her family to go to her boyfriend's house. She had been seen boarding a bus at 11.20 p.m. near his house. A few years, not a few years. Ooh. Oh my God. <laughs> A few hours later, her body was found strangled dressed without shoes and alongside I-295. So this is the same freeway that the first two victims had been found. But it seems like he's kind of changing his MO because didn't somebody have on shoes and now this girl doesn't have on shoes? Yeah, girl. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a minute. So there had been no signs of sexual assault, though there were cases of semen, but it was assumed to be her boyfriend's. I don't know if they tested it, but... They just assume. To solve the murders, the MPDC opened up a hotline and contacted local counties and the FBI for help. The mm-hmm. hotline had a, like a couple hundred random leads, leads that went nowhere. The FBI was pretty helpful. They kind of put together a profile, but just most of it went nowhere. Mm-hmm. Many of the case files had been lost, incomplete, or discarded because at the time it was common practice for detectives to keep their file, both to take home and even after they left the force. Uh, keep it. And many of them are dead or are too old to actually know where they've put them. Oh my God. <laughs> That's why we don't let people do anything. <laughs> that is why I vote that we just euthanize old people. No, I'm just kidding. Here's a couple of the suspects that you know had been suspected suspects that had been suspected (laughs) 
suspects that had been suspected the green vega rapist who i also want to talk about later down the road in the podcast had initially been thought to be the ones behind it they were a gang that would commit multiple rapes in the washington vermontish area because you know those are all the same not vermont Mm -hmm. the other one i mean it's probably virginia because it's the only other v state a member of the gang said that another member was involved in the murder and that he had evidence he basically presented to the police. The evidence had been presented at the time, but none of it had been made public. Then we had Edward Sullivan and Tommy Simmons, who were two ex-cops that were that killed and were arrested for the murder of Angela Denise Barnes, 14, who was initially thought to be a part of the Freeway Phantom murders. Mm-hmm. During their investigation, it was determined that both she, Angela, and Edward and Tommy were not a part of the murders at all. Robert Askins was a 58-year-old who was also thought to be to be the perpetrator at one point and you're gonna love his whole entire little murderous little life yes and he liked old murderous old people when he was 58 he had kidnapped and raped a 24 year old woman in 1977 in 1933 at 18 he had given five prostitutes cyanide laced whiskey and killed one of them with it when he was 18 yes he'd also strangled and murdered a 42 year old woman in 1952 he was never actually fully connected to the freeway phantom because of lack of evidence and also kind of like time and stuff Mm -hmm. he himself said that he did not have the the depravity of mind to actually commit the crimes which you know at least he has morals yes i'm not buying it but i appreciate the sentiment in 2019 blaine perdoe and victoria hester published a book Terramount, the pursuit of the freeway phantom serial killer in hopes of sparking new eyes on the case. The case has been reopened by the MPGC. I got my resources from the Washington Post, Wikipedia, and WUSA9. So what are we thinking about the freeway phantom? The freeway phantom reminds me a lot of like Samuel Little S. It was the early 70s. Um, people were... By the way, she said Samuel Little-esque, not Samuel Little Ass, which is what I heard. So just in case you guys heard that too, she said esque. Me personally, I don't really believe the little old man might have done it. Not because like he like doesn't have the depravity of mind like you said before. I believe he has that. Unlike Edward Sullivan and Tommy, who had both already like perpetrated crimes against another child, he hadn't. I just feel like that's iffy. Like people who do crimes against children do crimes against children. Right. That's just that's like their little MO. You don't really do both. You kind of like stick to your lane. You know, you have your categories as a little killer, murderer, rapist. But this is going to make us sound like bad people. But I actually think children would be harder because you can, I'm sure you can find like a single child, but you can find a single woman for sure. Like a woman that lives alone. And in that case, you can like be all up and through her house murdering her. Whereas like a child obviously has parents. So like you may have to maybe a little bit more difficult because you may have to stalk the victim a little bit before to know like when are the parents going to be home or it's just, it's some, it's some unknown variables with, with kids. What if the neighbor comes to the door and like knocks and you're like in the middle of your murder, a man and a woman walking together looks fine. And not to say that a man and a child walking together looks weird, but like if you're luring a kid away from a park or away from a school or something like that, somebody's going to take note of that. It's a little Mm -hmm. bit more conspicuous. I mean, that could be his grandchild, but like also I've seen Joseph D'Angelo. I've looked into his eyes. If I saw that man anywhere near a child, I would be immediately on the phone with the police. Joseph D'Angelo, Jess, he can't just be The Golden State Killer, come on. Oh yeah, I know what he looks like. 
Yeah, he's scary. He's scary, actually. Very odd. Girl, he looks bad. He looks dusty. You didn't have to. You didn't have to put him all out there like that. Well, first of all, he's the one that when he went to court for um, all his murders and rapes and and like slayings, was talking about some. I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to live with this for the rest of my life. Girl, what? <laughs> I remember that. I remember. You said you have to live with this for the rest of your life. Shut up. This reminds me. This is gonna be off topic. This reminds me of my scroll through the internet today, as I do often. And this little man was—he was saying something insensitive. And I'm not gonna say what he said, but in his little Facebook, his little profile—it wasn't Facebook, but his little profile—he had a picture of the Joker. He was like, "I lack emotion." Are you making fun of people who think it's cool to like have sociopathic tendencies or pretend to yeah, have sociopathic I, tendencies? Yeah, I like making fun of those people, especially because I feel like they give such a bad name to people who have like actually have those tendencies. Think and I think like, it's such a it's such ooh, an so attention grab. Yeah, no yeah, one like, cares. Yeah, like I just lack just all like morals, you know. Just it's just so funny to me. That's not um, a party trick either. Sick. You sound insane. You sound Literally. not well. Because I feel like a, a person with like actual like sociopathic or narcissistic tendencies wouldn't would say that hide that. Would hide yeah, that. <laughs> That's not a party trick. Again, so, it's not. It's not. It makes. It makes you initially look like a liar and look bad. You just yeah. look bad. If you guys have any suggestions on cases that you'd like for us to do, please feel free to DM us or comment it on our Instagram. You can send us an email, um, but please don't do that. Actually, now that I'm thinking about yeah, it, don't just, send us an email at all. Yeah, I don't think don't we've ever me. checked that. No, so just, yeah, send us a DM and we will get to it. You don't have any suspects? You? No suspects? No. Right. No. No. This girl is gone. That reminds me of the one time I attempted to run away, actually. Was that you at my house the other day that was like, is this your runaway bag? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've had a runaway bag for actually a really long time, guys. You used to have one when you we lived. never know when you may have to run away. That's very <laughs> serious. I don't want to <laughs> run away and be stuck in the same draws. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Sorry that I care about myself. I guess I'll start preparing my own runaway bag. Oh, yeah, you. with some fresh undies. the heart. You will never catch me sleeping. It's a fire boom. I'm out of here. I grab my pack and I'm gone. Goodbye, our little dummies. I hope you had a great episode on this little episode we recorded for our little episodic series. It's and been so please much don't fun. tell people you have sociopathic tendencies when we're yeah. out there in the world. And also Not prepare fun. a runaway bag. Just prepare and a bag. Don't shop at 7-Elevens or Safeways or Speedway. Grocery shop. For grocery groceries. Shop. You can shop there. You know, occasionally you just want a little snacky snack, but groceries. A little Come Slurpee. On, yeah. Let's, if you're shopping there for groceries, let's actually have a, a, a quick chat about your uh, dietary needs and your nutrition because I'm just concerned. But thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. Um, you can find us on Instagram at True Crime for Dummies or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts every Friday. Fingers crossed. Okay. Bye guys. Okay, bye. bye.